Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Well, good afternoon. My name is Kevin Scally, and I'm the host today. I serve as Executive Vice President of NetSmart, and part of my role is the executive leadership of our federal legislative advocacy efforts. And I am excited to introduce our guest, Joanne Cunningham, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Partnership for Quality Home Healthcare. The partnership represents community and hospital-based home healthcare agencies nationwide and works with government officials to ensure access to quality home healthcare services is readily available for all Americans. Joanne joined the partnership in 2018 from the Home Care Association of New York, which is the country's largest state home care organization, where she served as CEO for 11 years. Prior to that, Joanne spent 10 years in executive and senior leadership positions at the Health Care Association of New York State and Health Care Trustee of New York State. She spent the early part of her career working in healthcare policy in Washington, D.C., working with congressmen like Edward Markey from uh, Massachusetts, former Senator Max Baucus of Montana, and former Governor William Donald Schaefer from Maryland. Joanne holds a Master's of Health Science degree from Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Hygiene and Public Health, and is a political science graduate of the State University of New York at Potsdam. Joanne, thanks for joining us, and please introduce yourself, and hopefully I covered all of uh, your background. You did. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate being here. Thanks for having me and I'd love to share some insights about home health care. Good. What is it that drove you into home health care? That's quite a quite a resume you have. What drove you into home health care and how did you end up where you are? Well, I've been in the association space for quite a while and worked for a while for the New York Hospital Association, and then um, which uh, covered the post-acute space and, and policy issues. Um, worked in government relations and policy and advocacy, and ended up um, taking the helm of the Home Care Association of New York State. So I became immersed in home health and home care policy and Much like uh, many in the home health sector, um, I think once you enter into home care, you really fall in love with that as a care setting. It's so important to older Americans, the disabled population, and really provides care in a setting that is most preferable for those folks. And um, lots of good work going on in that sector and lots of challenges uh, as well. So I'm, I'm happy to be in this sector and happy to be lending my skills and talents to it. Great. And you talked about some of the, the challenges that are facing the industry right now. One of the biggest ones is CMS's proposed cut in the home health perspective payment system that they're proposing for next year. Give our listeners an overview of these proposed cuts and the impact that you're projecting on on the industry if these rules are accepted. Sure, Um, yes. Uh, Every year when the uh, payment policy rules come out for any sector, you know, there's always curveballs, there's always some challenges. And this year, the home healthcare payment system 
saw when we um, when we saw our payment rule, which was released by uh, CMS on June seventeenth, we saw some significant and very sizable cuts that were um, included in that proposal. The first one is a permanent cut, seven point six nine percent. And that's permanent in that that would be um, instituted every year in the home health payment system. And on top of that, unlike you know other policy changes, we also are um, being asked, or I guess what's being proposed is an actual, I call it a clawback. It's, it's a total of $2 billion for the care that was provided or payments provided for home health care during 2020 and 21. So, you know, the two first years of the pandemic, as well as another clawback for services that are being delivered in 22. So those are pretty significant dollar amounts. And uh, quite honestly, with a baseline of, you know, 17, 17 and a half billion dollars, um, in the home healthcare sector, those billions will have a really dramatic effect on access to home healthcare. Right, and from what I understand, the seven point six nine percent is a what they call a behavioral adjustment, which is typically applied retrospectively, and in this case, they're applying it proactively. Is that the first time you've seen that happen? Well. <laughs> We actually are experiencing a behavioral assumption cut that was instituted when our new payment model went into effect in 2020. Um, so the 769 cut is on top of that. I mean, essentially what, what CMS has proposed is uh, the home healthcare system has undergone a transition to a new payment system. So as of 2020, we, um, move to a payment system called the patient-driven groupings model, PDGM, which essentially is meant is a more refined coding system meant to better align the payment with a patient's clinical characteristics. And that's a good thing. It also eliminated therapy as a uh, condition or driver of payment, which is also uh, something the industry expected and was uh, recommended by uh, many policymakers for many years. So we were expecting change and the industry, I think, was ready for it and um, spent a lot of time, effort and energy sort of getting ready for this transition. What happened was, though, Congress, when they moved us to a new payment system, they essentially said, and this is a, a statutory, so this is in the law. They essentially said to CMS, we want the system, the transition from the old system to the new one to be budget neutral. In other words, we don't want you to cut payments. Uh, we want to make sure that the home health care program is kept whole. So that was a very purposeful directive. So what happened was in doing their determination of budget neutrality of our new system, CMS actually in their methodology is instituting this reduction of the 769%, which the gross impact of that is over a billion dollars for just 2023 alone. And on top of that, that cut will continue in perpetuity. So that's a permanent cut that is instituted every year. And on top of that is what I called before the clawbacks. 
So that's for services for payments for services already delivered in 2020 and 21. But the whole thing is predicated on CMS's interpretation of uh, budget neutrality and the methodology by which they are doing that determination. And have they been fully open about disclosing how they calculated all these numbers? <laughs> well, we, we have uh, somewhat of a disagreement with CMS on that front. Typically, um, and the partnership works very closely with a healthcare economics firm by the name of Dobson and Navanzo, who does uh, healthcare analytics. So they have routinely for years been examining the, the financial impact of the payment rules, including for home health. This year, when we requested the data that would be necessary for our contractor to do an assessment of essentially how they did the math. We did not have enough data from CMS to actually create that um, or replicate their math. So this year we, we, you know, pressed really hard with CMS to try and obtain the data sets that were necessary to do this, um, but did not, we were not successful in doing that. So our data contractor had to sort of do a workaround, but it's not the same as looking at their underlying methodology, getting an understanding, trying to replicate it yourself to um, better understand its implications. So no, we didn't, we were not successful and didn't get the data we needed. And what's your projection on the impact of the industry if these cuts were to go through? These are really significant cuts. Based on conversations with lots and lots of providers across the country, what is very likely to happen is you will see access to care issues. Home health care is largely dependent on labor costs. You know, there are no bricks and mortar. If you, if you ever visit with a home health agency, they deploy staff, clinicians, nurses, therapists, home health aides into the home and they're equipped with technologies to report back into the organization. But, you know, they're going, their mode of delivering care is in the patient's home. So you can imagine the size of these cuts. The first thing that will be affected is your labor force. You know, if 80% of your costs are in um, providing, you know, salaries of your clinicians and healthcare staff, that's the first thing that will go. And the net effect of that reduction will be a diminishment of access to home health care for people, especially in underserved, medically underserved areas, rural areas, those hard to treat, hard to reach population centers. Right. And so you have been one of the leaders in pushing for legislation to try and freeze the payments you know, what's called the Preserving Access to Home Health Act of 2022. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, yeah. The home health care sector was um, certainly anticipating that CMS may go down this route. We were not ready for the type of reductions, I would say, uh, that occurred. They were larger than we anticipated. But we do have a lot of advocates on Capitol Hill. Lots of members of Congress care a lot about the home health care program, our longtime supporters of ours. And I would say within 30 business days of the home health care rule being released, 
We had legislation introduced in both houses of Congress, bipartisan, bicameral legislation that would essentially do a couple of things. It's a very simple construct of, of a bill. It would pause these temporary and permanent adjustments. So pause these cuts until 2026. And that pause would allow the industry, the home healthcare community to continue to work with CMS on a um, more equitable budget neutrality methodology. So um, the pause really just buys us some extra time to sort this out with CMS. And we've done a lot of work in pointing out the flaws of their methodology. So our hope is that with you know the support that we've gotten and will continue to receive on the Hill and in other places from policymakers, we could redouble those efforts and solve this uh, disagreement on, on this underlying methodology, which is the driver of the cuts. And so I know we've had a number of NetSmart associates and our clients have written letters in support of this legislation. How would the listener go about writing a letter to their congressman or senator to help support what you're doing? Well, we, the partnership has our own uh, advocacy portal and we are pqhh.org. The National Association for Home Care and Hospice also has a similar grassroots portal and they are uh, nahc.org. So there's lots of venues and opportunities electronically for folks who care about the home health care program and want to see um, this legislation passed, want to see CMS pull back their proposed rule. There's lots of ways to engage in an advocacy front. And we encourage your listeners, we need we need lots of help in making sure our voice continues to be very vigorous and loud and that policymakers who are hearing voices all across the healthcare uh, community about lots of pressing issues that, you know, they continue to hear from the home healthcare advocacy community on this. Right. And for anybody who's nervous about doing it, I did it myself. And you basically go to your website, you put in your uh, zip code. It tells you who your congressman is. It pops up the letter so you can review it and make sure you're in alignment with it. And then you hit send and it goes. So it's a pretty simple effort to go and support it. That's right. So uh, and if you ever see your your local congressman on TV on a you know the evening news, it says my constituents are saying that could be three people calling in. So every single little letter counts. That's right. So moving to the future, what do you see um, from a future perspective? What trends and influences do you see making the biggest impact on home health care over the next decade? Well, I think first, a very obvious one is the increased use of technology um, in care delivery and across, I would say, all the operational functions of home health care as well as health care in general. But I think that increasingly we're going to see the growth of uh, using different types of not just remote patient monitoring, but other kinds of telecommunications in the home that assist caregivers who are providing care to a patient population that is has a lot of need, uh, has many chronic conditions, 
And so I think those trends are kind of the no-brainers in there. I also think that, you know, on the on the payment side, uh, or really on the policy side, I think we're going to increasingly see the post-acute care sector kind of looked at in a way that is much more sort of unified in the sense that, you know, do we have, as an example, do we have patients who are right now served in nursing home beds who could be cared for in the home? I think we do. I think there's always been a sentiment and a belief that there are patients in higher levels of care who could be cared for in um, different settings. And I think that's definitely true for home health care. I think we're going to see more of that. We're already seeing the trend of more care being moved in the home. And it's not just borne by, you know, technology and clinical advances, although that is certainly a driver. It's also patient preference. And, um, you know, we saw the lessons of the, and are seeing the lessons of the pandemic where individuals want to be at home if they can, especially if there is a way to receive their health care safely and rehabilitate and recover in the home. And I think those trends will will definitely continue if you think about, you know, what will the healthcare system look like in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years? It's going to be the the at home setting is going to be much bigger and the institutional settings will be smaller. We know that for sure. And I agree with I agree with your view there. I think some of the things that historically that have stopped the adoption of remote patient monitoring and other use of technology in this setting is it wasn't reimbursed. So do you see that changing, you know, as we move to more managed care and, you know, CMS going to be more open to it and will managed care providers, will they buy into the fact that if they're providing care in a home that it's going to be lower cost and potentially better outcomes for their members? Yeah, I hope so. That is a big barrier for um, the use of more different kinds of technologies in the home. And I do think that as you look to creating uh, efficiencies and clinical advancements, you know, technology is already marching down that pathway. And so it is happening organically right now in the home health space. You know, those are innovations that providers are using and absorbing the cost. I do think we need to look very seriously at how we incentivize the use of technologies. They can be a tremendous difference maker. And they also are very patient friendly. And they're also, I would say, you know, one of the aspects that's probably not as well uh, magnified is the fact that, you know, a patient feels very connected to their clinicians and caregivers just being able to access them through, you know, some sort of iPad or other device where they can, instead of panicking and calling 911 when they can't get a practitioner on the phone, having the ability to um, connect to one of their clinicians via a device that calms them down, makes them realize, you know, what they need to do, feeling that a clinician is on top of their care. I think there's much more that we can uh, tap into related to that. And I think reimbursement needs to come along with that. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Well, Joanne, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate your insights. We encourage all the listeners to come to your website and sign the letter or send a letter to their congressmen and senators and help support the cause. Any closing thoughts you would have? No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, It's great to hear that folks like you are on the website sending letters. Honestly, our voice needs to be really loud and powerful and vigorous in this debate and discussion we're having with CMS. And I I do invite folks to get on our website and uh, engage in that. You know, hopefully all of the partners in the home health community can, can work together and see these reductions mitigated and eliminated. Well, thanks again for your time, and uh, we look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thank you. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.